Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. finishing our message series that we have been throughout this month called This Is Us. And this series is about us as a church family, all of us together, and what can be accomplished when we as a church family come together for one purpose, right? It's this understanding of who we are, who has God created the church to be, the church as a whole, not just Encounter Church, but all churches. Why does it exist? And specifically why our church exists and what we're called to do. And when we learn our individual roles as part of it, and when we all go in the same direction, the power that it has to change lives in our own life, but also the world around us. And so we have been spending the month talking about various aspects of who we are as a church, right? We began the series by talking about who we are uh, as a church in our own overall statement, which is we want to encounter God in real life. And we talk about that all the time, every Sunday. It's on t-shirts. In fact, Josh is wearing the t-shirt right now. What does that mean? Encounter God in real life is simply we're normal people, right? We live normal lives. We just believe that we can know and experience God in everyday normal life. And so what we do as a church is designed to help us know how to do that. And so as a church, we live that out in three ways, right? Which we call our mission statement. And the mission statement is just a fancy word for the things that we do to accomplish that mission. And so we do that in three things, right? We love people, we know God, and we serve the world. Love people, know God, serve the world. That's what we do in all the, everything we do, whether it's worship or the way we teach or the way we serve in our communities, the way that we do our life groups, the way we interact with people, all flows out of one of those three spaces. And so the last two weeks we've been unpacking those. And so we talked about loving people and our two of our core values flow out of that relationships first. And everyone is welcome. We love people by helping them find a place to belong right? Finding a place to belong in God's family, right? We sang that song this morning that says, in my father's house, there's a place for me. Well, this is the father's house and there's a place for you here. And so we love people so they can find a place. And then we know God. That's the second piece. Last week we talked about what does it mean to know God, that so much of encountering God in real life means that we see him everywhere and that we know him in our lives by uh, the core values of digging deeper, right? What's the next step for you? What's the next thing that you or I can do to grow in our faith? But also we live that out through unity through Christ, that people can know God when they see. That's what Jesus said. He says, as you are one, as you are one body, one family, and you love each other, and despite your differences, despite your personality differences, your preferences, despite even some of your beliefs being different, when you're unified through Christ, the world will see that you are mine, right? So how can people in our world know God? How can they know God? They know God primarily first by creating a path. We create a path for them to see him when we see that we're unified. Right? So that's what we talked about last week. Well, this week, as I had mentioned, is sort of related to Memorial Day. It's a perfect segue because we're talking about serve the world. Right? The concept of serving is one that, that is all throughout the Bible. And really, if you think about Memorial Day, those who served in the military and gave their lives so that we could have something, that's the concept of serving in the church, this idea of serving. We encounter God in real life by loving people. We encounter God in real life by knowing God, and we encounter God in real life by serving the world. And the reason we serve the world is because this is a place that's not just for us, 
It's a place for everyone to come. And the only way that people would know what they could find here, the relationships that are available, the way that they could meet God and experience him in their life, oftentimes they need someone to introduce them. And so the church serves as a place for that. It's a place that reflects the heart of God, our Savior, in action to show people God. When I was in college, I had a job as a waiter, as a server at the Olive Garden. How many of you have ever eaten at the Olive Garden? How many of you like the Olive Garden to this day? Half the room. A number dramatically decreased. (laughs) Breadsticks. That's a soup, salad, and breadsticks. So I was a server at the Olive Garden. How many of you have ever ever waited tables at at a restaurant as a job before? Okay, so some of us, not many. I recommend... I mean, obviously, it's too late for most of us, but I always tell people I think that it would be great for everyone to serve tables at least once in their life because it really helps you to understand what the retail world is like, but you also, uh, it teaches you humility. Um, it, it, it has a whole, whole number, a host of benefits for, for learning and how to treat people in life. Well, I did it for about a year uh, off and on while I was in college, and the concept of serving, whether you have ever been a server or whether you have you know, been served at a table, I think everybody here at least been to a restaurant at least once in your life that you've been served. The idea is, is that when you walk up to the table, you greet the people, you find out what it is that they want, what it is that they need. You take that information back to the kitchen. They make the food. And when it's ready, you bring it to them and you serve it to them, right? Now you're thinking, why are we talking about the Olive Garden at church? Well, the church is certainly not the Olive Garden. It's not a restaurant. And Christians are not waiters or servers at a restaurant. But here's the thing. The concept of serving, so much of it can really be boiled down to the simple statement of serving means giving someone something that they need or that they want, right? That's what serving really is. It's giving someone something that they want or they need. And so in a church setting or the concept of who we are as servants of Jesus Christ, it could be a number of things. It could be giving someone food because they are hungry. Or maybe they need the support of it. Just this week, a friend of ours um, needs help because they're just going through it right now. And we created a meal train for our friends. Uh, They're not even in our church, but they know us and they they love us. And we're friends with them and taking care of them. So we are asking people in our church to just sign up to take them food. That's an example of giving something that someone needs. It could be money right? It could be something as small as the guy on the street who has a cup out, or it could be a friend or a family member or a neighbor or a coworker who's maybe having trouble paying their bills. That's the concept of giving something that someone needs. It could be any kind of assistance, but it doesn't even necessarily have to be tangible. Serving can also be giving someone dignity or giving someone a compliment. There are so many ways to be able to give someone something that they need or they want, and that's the concept of serving. And when we do it, what happens is is we show people the heart of the one who sent us. And that's the idea behind serving. And that's really the heart behind John 3.16. I mean, probably everyone in the room or most of us in the room could probably quote this, right? For God so loved the world, right? He loved because he cared. What did he do? He gave, he sent his only son, The idea is that God cared so much about us, cared so much about the world that he served, right? If the concept of serving is giving something to someone that they need, what did did God do? God sent Jesus. He gave us what we needed the most, and he welcomed us into our family. 
And he gave us life, and he's given us mercy. He's given us grace. He's restoring us. He's healing our lives and our relationships. And he asks us in return to turn around and do that for other people so that they can experience it too, right? This is what we see all the time. Every, almost every message you hear Pastor Jared say these things, right? Like God gave to us so that we could then turn around and give it to somebody else so that they could experience it too. And that's what we see here. So what I want to do is I want to look at a few key passages of Scripture this morning that I think really highlight the importance of serving as a hallmark characteristic of Christians and God's church. And then we're going to explore for a few minutes of what that looks like for our church and for us as individuals. Because I think this is key. This is critical to who we are as a church. Would you open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10? Mark 10, it's in the, uh, in the New Testament. This is one of the Gospels. Gospels are the stories that were told about Jesus. If you have a Bible with you, if you don't, we have free Bibles at the Connection Center for you. We also, if you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can download the Bible app, um, and it will also be on the screen here in a moment for you. Mark chapter 10, verses 42 and 45, Jesus had to combat this concept uh, with his own disciples, who just before we read this passage of scripture, two of them asked him, hey, can we be your favorites? Like, like he had these two guys who walked up to him and said, hey, Jesus, when we get to heaven, can I sit next to you? Like, how many of your kids always want to sit next to you at the restaurant when you're in a big group of people? They want to be in the best place. They want to be in that spot, right? This is what the disciples are doing. And Jesus, like, already realizes, you've spent three years with me, and you seem to have missed a critical element of who, who I am and who I'm calling you to be. So he just makes it very plain to them. In verse 42 and verse 45, so Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. We're going to pause there for a second. Right? So the idea is Jesus is just calling out what already exists. And we see this in our modern day right now. People who have power tend to lord it over those who don't. Right? We see it in corrupt systems around the world. We see it at work with a boss who just likes to make you feel like you're small because they're the boss. That's what Jesus is drawing attention to. Anyone in the world, typically, who has leadership and has accumulated power, most often they use it to hold people down or to keep what they have, right? So he's looking at them, and he just looked at his disciples who are asking to be better than his other disciples, right? So Jesus is like, you're not any different than them, but it should be. So he continues, on the contrary, it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus right off the bat said, stop acting like everyone else. If you're going to be my kids, if you're going to be my friends, if you're going to be my children, you have to be different. You have to break that cycle. You have to break the wheel, if you will, and be different than that. And you will do it by serving people, which is the opposite of what the world expects of you. And then you can turn to John chapter 13, where we see Jesus live this out. Physically, Jesus is about to die on the cross. 
He's literally about to give his life for all of us, and he's having the Passover meal with his disciples. And before they eat dinner, before they would eat uh, in this culture, they would wash their feet and clean themselves to be ready for dinner, right? Normally, a slave would do this. So you'd walk into the home, and a, and a servant or a slave would come in, and then you would sit down, you'd take your sandals off, and the guy would come over, and he would wash your hands and your feet. Well, the servant gets dismissed. Jesus walks in and says, hey, you can take the night off. And the disciples are like, what's going on? Jesus comes in. My goodness, it's raining hard. (laughs) Jesus comes in, takes off his outer garment, and gets on the floor like a servant and begins to wash the dirty, stinky feet of his own disciples. These guys are not like us, okay? It's not like paved roads. They were walking around in dirt. They were walking around in cobblestone where horses and animals would go around. There was a commonly animal excrement on the ground. It was not uncommon for their feet to be caked in just dirt and grime, right? So imagine our Savior, the one that we look to and we look at in pictures who's always got a halo above his head and he's smiling and he's clean and freshly showered apparently. Every time we see a picture of Jesus, he looks like he's immaculate, like he just came out of like the tanning salon or something. But in this case, what does Jesus do? He gets down on his knees and takes their feet and he washes them clean. He washes them clean. And then we pick it up in John 13 verses 12 through 17. Look what Jesus says. It says, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing again, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and you call me Lord. And he says, and just to be clear, you're right, because that is who I am. So, I love this, these moments in scripture where it says, therefore, or so, it's always like everything that I just said to you is the, is the reason why I'm about to say what I'm about to say. Yes, I am your teacher. Yes, I am the master and the creator of the universe. And so because of that, if I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. And just in case it's not clear... Truly, I tell you, verse 16, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. In other words, I can hear you already saying, groaning now, like after I leave the room, did Jesus really say I got to wash people's feet? I had a pastor in in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I was a youth pastor, who thought the modern-day equivalent of washing feet was washing toilets for people. So he would, we would do outreaches, and he would look for gas station bathrooms. He would look for the most grimiest toilets ever and go out of his way to go inside and say, can I clean your bathrooms? To exemplify the concept of the willingness to, to humble himself to the place of serving someone else in the most disgusting of environments. Now, whether that's necessary or not is not the point. The essence of what he was saying here, I believe, is what Jesus is, is trying to get us to think about. The concept of serving The idea of willing to to not be greater than our master who apparently did not think it was beyond him to do that. He was setting an example to serve the world, to lower yourself down. And then we see it again in 1 Peter 4.10. You don't have to turn there. It will be on the screen. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So in other words... What are we seeing here? What is, what, is, what is the point? Why do we serve the world? Well, 
If you're taking notes, write this down. This is the big idea of the message, the thing that kind of holds it all together, is that we are never closer to God than when we're serving. That's what the Bible paints this picture of for us. When we are serving people, when we are lowering ourselves, maybe something that we don't have any reason to do, like there's, it's not an obligation for us, but when we, when we say, I'm going to give of my time or my energy or my resources, or I'm going to give you some of my dignity, or I'm going to give you some of what I have to offer that you don't have, when we do that, we're never closer to God in that moment because Jesus set that example. We see the heart of God, and people can see the heart of God. Not only do we have a chance to grow closer to God, and God speaks to our heart as we serve. When we, we, our true motivations are revealed when we find ourselves in a place of serving. You know, if we're grossed out, if, we're, if we feel like there's pride that wells up in us, God is beginning to speak to us in those moments of serving. And we begin to see a refining that comes to it. We're encountering God in, in disciplinary ways, in, in nudging ways. And we get to see God's heart at work telling us that we need to be different or be better or encouraging us. It also helps us to see the plight of people around us that maybe we've forgotten, those who are marginalized, those who don't have, those who are disadvantaged. When we lower ourselves to get on their level with them, not as a we're better than them. But there's just certain different levels of places in life to where I have more than another person does. But Jesus wants to level the playing field. That's what the gospel is about, is bringing us all into the camp as his family. And so when we serve, we are never closer to God than in those moments. So that's why we serve the world. So what does it look like to serve the world? How does our church serve the world? There are three, three areas that we serve. And I would invite you into it. That's what we're really saying here is, is, is for us as individuals to be invited into it to participate so that we can encounter God in real life, but also so that other people have the opportunity to do the same. So three things. Serving the world means, number one, we serve our church. We serve our church. Now, this is one of those spaces where some of us in the room are probably, there's like a word there, serve the church, maybe sounds like different to a lot of people in the room, that maybe it, it conjures up images of, of an organization instead of the people. Perhaps it, um, it triggers an, a memory of where you feel like it's an institutionalized thing rather than the heart behind or the body of it. When I say serve the church, what we're saying is, is that God, the Bible makes it clear that God created the church, the body of Christ. This place, not the building, but the, what is happening in it. We are the church, and we are a part of the larger church that meet all across the world today and other times throughout. The church of Jesus Christ is the mechanism, the vehicle that God created to bring hope and life and the message of restoration to the world. I mean, think about it. Without churches, how would anyone know Jesus? How would anyone find a place to be able to be connected in relationships with other people if it was just a bunch of individuals who are not connected to each other, right? The idea of the church is a group that comes together under the banner of Jesus Christ, those who have been transformed and changed because of him, right? So we serve the world first by serving our church. And what do I mean by that? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says God has appointed in the church. So it's clear that he's talking about it. He's talking about pastors and apostles and prophets and teachers, right? But then he also goes on to say here in verse 27, now you, us, 
are the body of Christ, and we are individual members of it. And then it goes on to talk about different parts of the body. Like it says, you know, you're a hand, or you're an elbow, or you're a foot, or an eye, or an ear. And it says that not any given part of the body should say that it's like lesser important than another, that we don't need you. The whole point is, is that he's talking in the context of the body that God has created, the, the living organism of the church of Jesus Christ, which is lived out at Encounter Church on a given basis every Sunday. And it's also lived out at that church and this church and that church. That's the body, the physical manifestation of people of God coming together for a purpose, right? So when we serve our church, when you get up on a Sunday morning and you come and you hand out coffee to people or you give them donuts or you open the door or you count the offering or you serve on the worship team or you know you are a part of the sound team or you're creating graphics in the middle of the week or you're contacting our new visitors throughout the week and telling them thank you for coming. All of these different areas, the different things that we do, all of those are being a hand or an ear or an eye. You are a part of the body that is designed to help people meet God. And we need you. We need you to help be a part of this body. We serve. So, So first for us, serving the world starts with serving the church because it's God's chosen vehicle, God's chosen mechanism to reach the world. And frankly, we're just better together. We can't do it on my own. If I wanted to go out and change the city for Jesus, I'm just one dude. But when 30 of us are together, all moving in the same direction, that's powerful, right? It's like the the image of water, you know? One water drop doesn't do anything, but when water collects, it's an unstoppable force that carves through mountains, right? That's the power of the church, When we are unified under one purpose, one reason to serve the world, when we do it, it makes waves. It crashes through strongholds and communities. And that's what we're called to do. And we do that primarily through our dream team. Dream team. Now, some of you might say, that's a silly word. Why would we call the people at our church the dream team? Well, the reason is, is because God has a dream for this city. He has a dream for people who are sitting at home right now, probably, or at brunch somewhere, who are crying out inside for something better than what they have. They don't know it. Maybe they can't even put words to it, but they're empty inside, or they're broken, or they need hope, or they're lonely, or whatever it might be. And they're crying out internally for it. And God has a dream that those people would find him and know him for who he truly is, and how he can, how he can save them, and change them, and give them grace and mercy. You know? And the idea of the dream team is that's his dream, and The dream team is simply a group of people who come together as a church body and who say, I'll do what I can. I'll give of my time. I'll give of my energy. I'll give of my resources. I will give someone a cup of coffee. I'll give them a handshake and a hello. I'll give my my voice so I can sing. You know, I'll set up chairs. I can put signs up. I can connect power cables. I can learn to push a button on a computer so that people can read the lyrics on the screen or whatever it is. Like, whatever you're doing, however you do it, you're a part of the dream team because what you do here creates a, a way for someone to meet Jesus. You're a part of what God's doing, part of God's dream. So we encourage you. We're inviting you into it. Serving our church means serving through the dream team. Number two, the serving the world means we serve our city. We serve our city. Not only do we serve in the church, but the church exists so that we can reach the city, right? We want people, our neighbors, we want our business owners, we want our, our friends and our coworkers. We want people who are hurting to know Jesus. And so at our church, we have outreach. We go out into our communities. We build relationships with people and with organizations. We have homeless outreaches. We do park cleanups. We, um, we're trying to get connected to the local garden over here with this other church. There's all sorts of ways 
that we can connect. We've done the back-to-school bash where we give out backpacks to families in need. We've done the Easter egg hunt years past. There are so many different ways. We did a Thanksgiving dinner um, for a couple years ago. There's so many different ways that we can serve our city. And it starts by building relationships with those in the city. Again, this is a place not just for us, but a place for everyone. And if we're called to serve the world and for people to know who Jesus is, you can't do that from within our own walls. So we serve our city through outreach, through going out. We serve the world by serving our city. And number three, not only do we serve our church, not only do we serve our city, but we also serve the nations. We see this in the Great Commission. Jesus says in Matthew 28, right? His marching orders to us before he ascends to heaven. He says, hey, guys, if there's one thing that you should remember, that's pretty much what the Great Commission is. Like, if there's one thing that you remember I said, do this, right? Like, write it on your, like, on your, like, tattoo it on your arm or something is this idea of go into all the world and preach the good news and teach them to obey everything that I've taught you, right? The Great Commission means go, and it says it's going to happen locally, you know, in Jerusalem and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? And to them, at the time, that meant Europe, because they didn't know that there was anything other than that. But the point is, is that the essence behind it is the concept is that we have a responsibility as Christians, no matter where we go, whether you're at this church, at any church, whether God calls you another city or whatever it is, that you have a responsibility to think about not just your city, not just your state, not even just your nation, but that are there people hearing about the gospel? Are there people being served in other parts of the world that I may never visit? And it's reflected in the heart of God in that God sends people to those places. So you remember our friends Aaron and Susie Hoover, right? Missionary couple that we have come back every year or so when they visit back to the States. Our church supports them financially, right? We love them and we, we lean into what they're called to do. I'm not called to go to Athens, Greece. I'm not. You're not called to live there and to uproot your life and to give everything into that space, but they are. Why? Because God cares about that nation. You see what I'm saying? So the church is designed to reach the world from where they are planted, but to support them through either finances or, or participating or sending people out to these places. And we do. And we plant churches around the country through our giving every week. Your giving, as Heather said this week, right, the idea of when you give your tithes, when you put an offering in and it comes to the church, what it's doing, a significant portion of it, 10% of our church's income goes back out to plant churches in places that they don't have life-giving churches. Around the world, we're sending missionaries out and we go on mission trips together. That's why we say, hey, when we have this mission trip, we invite you to come along. Because something happens when you experience a new place and you see God at work. We've taken several. We've gone to uh, Madagascar and we've gone to Malawi and we've gone to India and we've gone to Greece. And, and every one of those places we've seen God's heart for that world, for that community, for that nation. And so we serve here in this church so that people can meet Jesus on a regular weekly basis. We serve in our cities so that people know that there's a place that this church cares for them. There are enough churches in our country where that don't do anything. We will not be that church because God has called us to show people love. So we go into our communities and we serve them and we build relationships and bridges and we say, come back to know the God who loves you and who sent us. And then we send money and we send people and we send our prayers across the oceans to places that God wants to reach people who are way further away from him than maybe people in our own country. That's what it means to serve the world. 
We serve our church. We serve our city. And we serve the nations. And we encounter God in real life by serving the world. And we serve the world by serving our church, our city, and the nations. Now, we're going to close with this. Have you ever heard your mom or really anyone that, you know, when you were a kid say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Anybody you ever, like, trying to talk to my kids and, uh, you know, and they're like, well, I just told you what I meant. I'm like, yeah, but you said it in a way that was disrespectful or, you know, the same is true of how you do things, right? You can go and serve. You can go, hey, son, daughter, go clean your room. Go mow the grass. Go, you know, do the dishes, pick up your clothes, whatever. And if you're just stomping the whole time and you're huffing and puffing, half the time you're like, hey, can you stop for a second? Go do it again because I want you to do it with the right attitude, right? This idea. Well, the same thing is true for us. It's how you serve that matters most. And so our final core value that we're going to kind of just put a, put a cap on this entire series, how we serve the world matters the most. And we do it through our last core value, which is all in for the one. All in for the one. This is, this is like the driving force. This is the rally cry, the battle cry for us as a church when we're tired when we don't know what to do, when we feel like it doesn't matter, when we need to be reminded, right, we have to draw from something, when it all costs, when for whatever reason it feels like there's, there's, there's no hope or whatever, we have to draw from this concept of all in for the one. And I didn't just make this up, okay? It comes from God's word. Let's look at a few passages of scripture here. Romans 5.8, we're gonna close here, I promise. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then we see this story that Jesus tells, a parable of the 99 sheep, right? Where he has this shepherd who has 100 sheep and 99 of them are safe and sound in their pen, but one of them has gone missing. And most people would be like, well, it's like midnight, And the one sheep, I could go buy another one or whatever. It's not a big deal. Let's just leave that one sheep out there. Maybe it'll find its way back. But if not, no skin off my back. That's the idea. And what does Jesus say? He says that shepherd leaves the 99 and goes out into the middle of the night, goes out where there are animals and wolves and all sorts of creatures to hunt down the one, the one lost sheep. And Jesus talks about that parable as though it is admirable, right? It's honorable. Do this is what he's saying. That's what Jesus has done. So this picture of going out and finding the one. We serve the world through an attitude of all in for the one. It means when I'm tired, I'm going anyway. When I'm frustrated, I'm going anyway. When I don't have the resources, I'm going anyway, right? Because that's the idea behind it because our God didn't stop for us. Right Now look at what, we'll wrap it up right here in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. It can't be any more clearer than this. Look at what it says in the very beginning in verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Who did what? Let's, let's recap. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Pause. Essentially what this is saying is he could have. He, as we see in John chapter 1, he was with God in the beginning. He was God. He's the master and the creator of the entire universe. He could have said, I'm God, do what I say. But instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. 
taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And then it goes further, even to the death on a cross. And the reason that's significant is because that was the most vile and the most embarrassing, the most degrading of all penalties. It was capital punishment and it was designed to show the enemies of the state that you are degraded. So not only was he just killed like, oh, he was out fighting a battle. It wasn't just that like he was assassinated. No, he was made a public spectacle, stripped of his clothes, naked on a cross so that people would see it. And it says that he did it on purpose for us. And then it says at the very beginning there is to adopt the same attitude. Now, I am under absolutely no illusion that this is easy. It's hard. It's so hard to serve. We live in a, in a society that is designed to make everything convenient for us. Our phones and our computers and the cars that we drive and everything, all the technology is literally designed to help us have a convenient life. And serving flat out is inconvenient. It's, it's taking what I have so that others can have too. And this goes back to the heart of what Jesus told his disciples who had just got done arguing amongst themselves after three years of spending time with him. Did you miss the point? Did you see me ever complain, Jesus is saying? Every time I went to have a moment for myself, I got interrupted. Every time that I was hungry, I gave food to someone else. Every place that I went before I went to sleep at night, I made sure that the people around me had what they needed. I found people who had nothing, and I went and gave them what I had. And his disciples argue and grumble about it and want to be the best, and he says to them, no, no, that is not how it works. If you want to be with me, you will serve. We do it with this idea of a never stop, never, never give up attitude. How many of you have ever seen the movie, The Goonies? Anybody? A few people in the room? They have this line in the movie that I love and it acts just like a rally cry, right? It's Goonies never say die, right? Goonies never say die. These guys were like, like the bottom of the barrel, you know? They were like losers. They were a bunch of kids who didn't have anything. They were, they were made fun of. They were not the cool kids, right? But they were together and they had a purpose and they were not gonna let anybody tell them that they couldn't accomplish the thing that was in front of them. And this is the essence of all in for the one. This is the essence. If the Bible were written in the 1980s, I believe it would say Goonies never die. The idea of, of when we are called to give everything because Jesus gave us everything. Remember, we serve the one because we were once the one. We were the one who needed relationships. We were the one who were far from God and needed to know him. We were the one who needed served. And we do it with an all for the one attitude. This is hard. It's very hard. Sometimes you're going to go without. Sometimes you're going to probably be grumbling because like I would rather sleep or I have too much going on or I don't have the money to give or whatever it might be. But God gave us everything and says, do the same, do the same. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Come along for the ride. Come along for the ride. 
And when we do, we are never closer to God than in those moments when we give of ourselves. We find things about ourselves that God wants to say to us. We learn about God's character and he shapes us. We make a difference. And then when somebody walks in the door because we gave them a cup of coffee on a Friday night or because we gave them a backpack or because your friend at work, you prayed with them when they were, when they were sick or when something was going on in their life and you've had a million tiny conversations with people about Jesus and one day they come to your life group or one day they come to your church service. It's worth it. For the one, for the one moment, for the one person, it's all in, all in for the one. Would you stand with me? So what does this mean for you and for me as individuals? We talked about our church. Simply put, I'm just going to reframe the points we made earlier about how our church does it and invite you to do the same. Serve your church. Serve your church. And if not this church, serve a church somewhere. Don't be a part of the body that is not being used. God has put gifts inside of you to offer, to be a part of the dream team, whether it's here or anywhere else. We invite you here. We invite you to join the dream team. We invite you to come to Starting Point to learn what that means next week. Serve your church. Number two, serve your city. When we have opportunities as a church and we have outreach opportunities and we announce those, come to them. Say no to the thing that you could say yes to and come to this. I'm not saying we're going to guilt you or shame you. And if you have something that needs to be done, do it. That's fine. But if you're not coming to any outreach, then you're not serving your city. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say, the heart behind it, serve your city and serve the nations. Serve the nations. Think about ways that our church participates that you can participate in. Think about organizations that maybe you want to participate in. Christian Wecker signed up for the the 6K for water that we did as a church. And and then sponsoring children is an opportunity to serve the nations. Whether it's through our church or through other places, serve the nations. When we have missions trip opportunities, consider that God might want you to go and would provide you the resources to do it. And your life will be changed in those moments. Serve your church, serve your city, Serve the nations and all else. Be all in for the one because you were once the one. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you have spoken this this month through our This Is Us message series. God, we are a small church, but we are a mighty one because you have called us to do something incredible. I see every week the lives of, of people who are being changed, the relationships that are being built. I see the love of people acted out every, every single week. God, I love that we know you, that we experience you, that we learn about you, that we spend time growing in our faith throughout the week. I see it over and over again. People who are different this week than they were a week ago, different than they were a month ago, different than they were a year ago, God. It's awesome that we see people knowing God in a real way. And God, we are a church that is committed to serving our world. Whether that's here in this building, whether that's around our city, or even in other nations around the world, God, we're committed to it. And we will do it with an attitude that is all in for the one because we were once the one. God, I I pray that for each one of us in the room that we would leave here today encouraged and inspired to be the people that you have called us to be. 
thank you that that these scriptures exist that show that Jesus Christ did not consider that having authority and power was the be-all, end-all, and instead our Savior lowered himself and gave everything for us. I thank you for that. Jesus, you are awesome. Thank you for life. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for grace. And if nothing else, I will come with you because because there's no better place to be than in, in your presence. God, help us as we leave this place to remember these things, to remember why we are a church and why we come here and, and to get involved and to participate and to be a part of what you're doing. It's special. It's beautiful. I thank you for every person who does. I thank you for the sacrifices they make. I thank you for their heart to serve and to give and the lives that have been changed because of it. And we just invite everyone to participate in it. And God, we thank you for those who've given their lives in service of our nation. Thank you. We honor them. We honor those soldiers who've given. We pray for the families who've lost loved ones and ask that you would comfort them. And on this day, while we celebrate, there are families who maybe it's a, a loss is new and fresh. God, I pray peace. I pray comfort for them as they celebrate a holiday without their loved one. Let them know that you love them and the church of Jesus Christ loves them. Keep us safe as we go. Bring us back together again soon. We love you and thank you for all you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.